Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Amen. Well, today we're going to take a pit stop. Um, we've been on this journey where we've been speaking and, and trying to break down the word that God gave us at the start of this year um, to launch into the deep. But over, as the, during the week, as I mauled over things, I felt that it was necessary to take a pit stop. And to go back, because it would be a tragedy if there was anyone in this church who misses what God is saying to us and has said to us. So I'll kind of step out of the, the track I was going on for today, um, just to, in a sense, take us back um, and, and bring that uh, together with what God has told us this, this year, uh, to challenge us, to inspire us, to encourage us. Um, and if you want a title for what I'm going to share with you, it's the manifestation of his word, the manifestation of his word. Now, the Lord has spoken to us very clearly he has to have spoken to us. If not, like the Bible says, we are of all men the most foolish if we assume he has and he hasn't. He spoke to us sometime last year, towards the middle part of the year, um, out of two scriptures. And we literally spent the rest of the year trying to grapple with this word, trying to unpack the word and bring application to our lives. He spoke to us out of Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. And let me refresh your memory. He, say, he said to us, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If I, if I know anything, this I know, that God spoke that word to us as a church. I actually think that it's not just a word for Jesus' house. I think it's a now word. It is what God has spoken into the world uh, and spoken into his church. The message would put that scripture like this. Same scripture, Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I am about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I am making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands, yeah? Same scripture, um, different language, but same emphasis. 
And the second scripture that God spoke to us was out of the Songs of Songs, uh, the second chapter. We usually read verse 11 and 12 to give it context. But the, 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 the particular scripture that he spoke to us was verse 13. And this was from the Passion Translation. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? It's a question he asks. The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. And so for like for six months or so, you know, we were, we, this is where we were. God has spoken to us. What does this mean to us? What's the application to us? You know, and some of us have already started to experience the manifestation of that word, and all of us will as long as we receive it as God speaking. It is the word of God that has application to us. And this year, as we crossed over, God speaks to us again. Because God is a speaking God. When you read the Bible, you, you, you're left with no doubt that this God, in his relationship with his children, wants to speak to them, to guide them. You know, wants to encourage them by what he says to them. Sometimes to admonish them, but he's a speaking God. He's not mute. He's not silent. He's a God who speaks. We just have to tune into the right frequency so that we can hear him. And so he speaks to us out of the story in Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter and the eleventh verse. And, and verses 1 to 11. I don't want to read the whole story, but you know the story. Um, Jesus chooses Simon Peter's boat. Um, uses his boat to preach, and then right after using his boat to preach, he turns around to Simon and tells him to launch out into the deep. Simon says to, to Jesus, we've already done that. We've been, we've been fishing. We've been out there fishing um, all night, and we caught nothing. You're asking us to do what we've already done, and at the wrong time, because the fishermen never went out at that time, because the fish would, would, would go away. But they went out at night to fish. And that's why even till now in the morning you see the fishing boats. If you're you at the seashore, if you're in a fishing village, you see the fishing boats returning in the early hours of the morning with the catch that they got at night. So Peter, Peter who is an experienced fisherman, is saying to him, we, we've done the right thing, but it didn't work. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless. Because you say so, that's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. He can do whatever he likes. He can make whatever rules he wants. He can open whatever door he wants. He can change whatever circumstance he wants. He's sovereign. He sits in heaven and he rules in the affairs of men. He's not limited by our limitations. He's God and God alone. All power does belong to him. He really is the God who says, with me nothing is impossible. And so Peter launches out. And you know the rest of the story. He has a massive catch. The, 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 the blessing is so much, it threatens to sink his boat. He has to call others to come and share with him. So the word that God spoke to us was from verse 4, where he said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. 
Now, I want to share with you what I've called some characteristics of this journey. And what I'm hoping is that you will identify some with some. You will know that you've got to press in concerning others. And some of them will challenge you because you're really, maybe you are not at that place. So the first characteristic of this journey that we're on is a restlessness. Just a feeling of restlessness. It might be that someone is disturbed by, the, by things, the circumstances. Might be that someone is uneasy. It might be someone is unsettled. Sometimes it actually becomes anxiety or someone being troubled. It's what Bill Hybels called a holy discontent and wrote a book about, about that. And this restlessness in whatever expression that it, is, that it comes is induced by many factors. Sometimes it's just boredom. Just, you know, same old, 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 same old. For so long, there surely has to be more to life than this. And sometimes it's the routine that has become numbing. The same routine. And after a while, it's just become numbing. And it induces uh, restlessness. The mundane. Just going through cycles of life that a person knows this thing is really going nowhere. But we're just busy circling the same mountain. A lot of times is, is a restlessness that's, that comes to a person who is spiritual and finds that they're trapped in religion. 2 Timothy, the third chapter and the fifth verse. The Bible describes it as a form of godliness. It's a form of godliness, but it denies the power. A sense that th this, this can't be it. Our Lord died for a bit more than this. It's ticking the boxes, but it's a form of godliness. There isn't the power of the gospel in it. Sometimes it's just a sense that there is more that brings that restlessness. There is more to my life. There is more to church. There is more to my relationship with God. And sometimes it's a feeling that something needs to be fixed. Just, you know, just that feeling that this, there's something that's wrong. Something is broken. Something is, is, is not functioning correctly and needs to be fixed. And it induces this discontent with the state of things. And you know, sometimes it's failure. That was Peter's story. He toiled all night and failed. And sometimes it's the fact that we've done something and it hasn't worked. We, we have some failure in some area of our lives. Something went pear-shaped. 
And it could be these things and more. But the, the, the thing is that there is a restlessness in our hearts, in our spirit. Number two, characteristics of this journey. A personalization of the word. The whole essence of a preface is to set the context for what is coming. So God gives us a word in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, but he prefaces that word, and the preface is very significant. He says in verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord. Somebody say that with me. Thus says the Lord. Go on, say it one more time. Go on, you've got to say it with boldness. Thus says the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord. God is about to speak. And then the Bible goes on as an encouragement to really lift our spirits and create expectation to remind us about who is about to speak. He who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. This is who is about to speak. Thus says the Lord. And then verse 18 and 19, he begins to speak. The message would put it even in more contemporary language. The message would say, this is what God says. So the Bible says to us, thus says the Lord. Somebody is saying, God Speak to me. God says to you, I am speaking. The Bible confirms it. Thus says the Lord. This is what God says. And then goes on to tell us what God says. And when you look at the story with Peter, it's the same thing. Verse 4 says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, he said to him, he spoke to him. It would be an exercise in futility and frankly, madness to embark on the journey if God hasn't said. The results will be disastrous, but the evidence before us, God is speaking to us. He turns to Peter. He's been speaking generally to the people. But then when he wants to speak to Peter, he turns to him and speaks specifically to Peter. So he's been preaching generally. And I don't know what he preached generally, but he might have said similar things. But then when he wants to get the word personalized, he, he turns to Peter, addresses Peter, and says to Peter, launch out into the deep. Now in this journey, you have to personalize the word. It has to be personal to you. There is the logos, the word that is spoken 
the, the, the written word of God. And frankly, when I speak from here, it's really a logos that I am speaking. It's the general word. But you can't embark on the journey with a general word. It has to become particular, personal, specific. You have to know that God has spoken to me. It wasn't just what Pastor Agu said as he was taking us on a journey. It wasn't just what Badge said or Doc said or Pastor Shala said or any of the other pastors. They spoke a general word. But then the Spirit of God, that's the difference between the Logos and a Rema. The Logos is the written word of God. The whole Bible is the Logos. And people try to live on the Logos. It's not possible. You're not, it's, that's not the way God intended. He intended that His Spirit will come on a particular word, quicken it, make it alive, bring application to you. You know that God has spoken. There's nobody on earth who can tell, who can, who can tell me that God has not spoken to me, Aguiruku, and said, I'm doing a new thing in your life. It's not, a lo- it's not out of the Logos. It's a rema, a now word for me. It's alive. It's breathing in me. It's throbbing. It's pulsating. It's driving me. It's shaping my life. I can't ignore it. It's growing daily because it has the Spirit of God on it. It's a rema. When circumstances come on the journey that create turbulence as they tend to, when you go through the valley, as we probably will, when you go through a dark patch, we all do. When many say you, you haven't heard God, when it seems like you're going backwards instead of forwards, because sometimes God goes backwards to go forwards. When you're building a building, it looks like nothing is happening when you're digging the foundations. And you've shared a 3D image of a skyscraper and you've told your friends you're building a skyscraper and every time they pass the the building site there is no sign of anything going up because they can't see what is going down but the extent of the strength of what goes down and how deep it is is how high that skyscraper is going to be and when you're going down there's nothing to celebrate when you're going down You don't call people and pop champagne and say, come and celebrate my foundation. Whoever does that. And in those times when you're doing that, if you don't have a a, a rema, if God hasn't spoken to you, if it's not personalized, if if you can't grab hold of it, then you will despair. And that leads me to my third point, which is prayer. Because a lot of what I said about the Rema happens through prayer. It's in that place of prayer. The, the, the prayer is the crucible. It's a catalyst that the Spirit of God comes upon a word and makes it a Rema. So, of course, a, the third characteristic of this journey is, is prayer. That we, we hear a word. So, what do we do when we hear a word? It's a general word that's spoken. We take it to the place of prayer. Our prayer is focused, it's it's targeted, it's intentional, 
is consistent, is persistent. Shala and I were talking about it that what God loves is consistency. It's why Jesus shared the parable in Luke 18 verse 1. Men should always pray and not get faint, weary, tired, and give up. That's what the Amplified says. What is he saying? Just keep praying. It's what Paul means when Paul says, pray without season. So we take the word and we take it to the place of prayer. Do you know 10 minutes every day, 15 minutes every day, God Make this clear to me. Birth this new in my life is priceless in what it will achieve. Don't talk about the long periods of travailing or the collective prayer. Just constantly bringing that to God. Because what are we doing when we are praying? We are, we are birthing the new. It's a word that has been spoken. There hasn't been a manifestation of it. Somebody has to do the only thing we know how to do to bring something from the spirit realm into the natural realm. And that happens in the place of prayer. So we're birthing when we're praying. We're praying for the spirit of God to come upon a logos, a general word that, the, that has been spoken the, out of the written word of God and make it a rema. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're praying for God to reveal his mind to us, to bring clarity Reveal his plans and purposes. We're praying for God to equip us for the journey. To give us what we need. To help us realize the potential. To bring the graces and the gifts that we require for the journey. And then we're praying to deal with fear. And that leads me to the fourth characteristic of this journey, fear. Now, we don't like to admit that we're afraid. We feel that as Christians, we should not be afraid. And it is true. But the truth is that most of us will start in a lot of times from a place of fear. It's what we do when the fear comes that matters. I hope you don't think that as they, as they sat in the boat in the middle of a storm and a, a ghost-like figure probably dressed in white approaches the boat on water. I hope you don't get the idea that 11 were afraid but Peter wasn't. The Bible makes clear that all of them, when they saw the figure, their collective cry was, it's a ghost. They were afraid. But then, Jesus spoke to them. A word came to them. And whilst 11 were still quivering and, and shaking and trembling, Peter, and I don't think he necessarily stood up and said, it's just totally unnatural. He heard the voice and he stood up and said to Jesus with, with, 
with, with a lot of swagger. You just tell me to come and I'm going to step out on this water, Jesus. No, I think his voice must have been shaking because there was a storm. And they were deal- he was dealing with something that was not natural, a ghost-like figure. But out of his fear, probably with his voice quivering, maybe his body trembling, he speaks, if it is you, if it is you, if, if, if it is you, Jesus, tell me to come. He's dealing with the fear. And then Jesus gives him a word, come. And because the word goes and he embraces the word, the word displaces the fear to some extent, and we don't know to what extent, but enough of it was displaced for him to step out of the boat and walk on water. So there will be some sort of fear a lot of times, some sort of Anxiety maybe, worry maybe, some tension, some apprehension, some trepidation. There will be, if it's new, genuinely new, there will be some sort of, some expression of those emotions. What if it isn't God? What if I get it wrong? What if I fail? What if they laugh at me? What if they mock me? What if I become ridiculed? What if I can't pay the price? And yes, God has not given us a spirit of fear. We know that. Or timidity. We know that. But he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We know that. But that has to become a reality. It has to leave the pages of a book and seize your life. Don't for one second think that Moses wasn't afraid. When he heard the sound of of thousands of horses, you know, you just got to imagine that sound. The, The hoofs of war horses pounding the ground. Not only was he hearing the sound, the ground started to shake under his feet. He could hear the murderous cry of angry Egyptians bearing down on him. He knew he was finished. He was shish kebab. It was over. He looked at the Red Sea. Who can swim across this massive obstacle? God, we are in trouble. It is with that mind, and I'm sure with some degree of trepidation, that he goes to God to cry out to God. And then God speaks to him. And that's the difference. When the word of God comes, it is how we seize it. How we study, meditate on it. How we confess it. We confess it, confess it, confess it. Believe me, you speak it until it changes you. And one day you wake up and there's been a displacement that has taken place. The word has displaced the fear. But it doesn't come from sitting in a service and hearing a sermon from watching something for three minutes on, 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 on TBN or any of th- those things are all catalysts. It comes from someone receiving a word. God has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity. He has given me the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. From someone taking that word into the crucible of prayer. From someone studying that word, meditating on that word, confessing that word, confessing it, confessing it, declaring it, proclaiming it over their lives. And one day, that displacement takes place. 
The fifth characteristic is change. When you say God is doing a new thing in your life, doesn't that excite you? Does it excite you? God's doing a new thing. It's a new day of destiny. Those are, you know, good phrases for a preacher. But when the rubber hits the road, what that means is change. So the scripture God gave us says, even the flowers are whispering, there is change in the air. Now, most people will be challenged with change. We all are. We like what we know. We like what we're familiar with. Who loves the unknown? No, no one is a masochist. Loves the unknown. Loves the uncertainty. But then, the just shall live by faith. That's how we're wired to live. That's why we never stay in the same place. That's why we're constantly moving. You know, there's a book called Who Moved My Cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson, I think it is. I would recommend that book to you, Who Moved My Cheese. It'd probably do a better job than me about preaching about change. But can I say to you, if you're expecting the new, be ready for change. There's going to be change all around us. You know, people don't like change. You know, when, when the, 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 the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, and then in the time of uh, Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. The people who knew the temple in Jerusalem when they saw what they had rebuilt, they burst into tears, serious wailing. And why were they crying? It's not like the other one. We thought you would do it exactly like the other one. But God was doing a new thing. And it was the younger people who, rather than wail, were celebrating because they didn't have the burden of history and the burden of the past. And you know, when I talk about change, the one thing that changes on this journey is you. That's the beauty of it. If you're going on this journey with God, the one thing that changes as you grapple with these new things is you. You become deeper. Your relationship becomes stronger. You have more faith. Your prayer life changes. Your study of the word changes. Literally, you undergo a transformation. Number six. <laughs> six characteristics. I borrowed the phrase from a book that... Um, one, one of us, one of our pastors who, who I really trust prophetically um, gave this book to me. 
Um, and it's interesting because <laughs> I was at a point where God was saying to me, Agu, you're becoming emotional in this journey. And, and who, who won't be emotional? You know? Well, emotional beings. We have relationships. We care about people. But sometimes our emotion gets in the way of what God wants to do. And God said to me, you're becoming emotional. He says, because certain things should end. And you're prolonging them because of emotions. That's what God was saying to me. And you can't take the new without winding down the old. It's a no-brainer. I mean, how many hands do you have? If somebody wants to give you a gift and your hands are full, then you, you simply can't receive the gift. You've got to put down something that is in your hand, bring an end to whatever it is, and then present hands that are empty and open to be filled by new things. Does this make some sense? The Bible puts it in, in, in this way, way. You can't pour new wine into old wine skin. So God was saying to me, you're letting your emotions get in the way. Make decisions and, and just, just follow the plan. And the day after God says that to me, um, this daughter of mine, spiritual, she says, oh, Pia, I think there's a book you would like to read. I said, yeah, okay. She said, I'll send it to you. I think I, think I actually, I think she said it was impressed on her heart that I need to read this book. The book arrives, Mark, and I bring the book out. It says, Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. How many know that? If I'm looking for God to speak to me, he's speaking to me. And the truth is that there have to be necessary endings. Some things just have to end. Some relationships have to end. It's not that you're fighting anybody or quarreling, but the season of that relationship in that manner is over. It's over. It's, it's, it, 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 it has served its purpose both for you and for the other person. So the season is over. At various stages in my life, there were people who, for example, I would speak to every day, speak to five times a day. You know, they were very present in my life. But the time came when they are no longer so present. When I do see them or when we do speak, we kind of catch up from where we left off. But I can't insist that they must be present in the way that they were. No, the season has changed. And some relationships, you have to end. And I know I'm speaking to someone. It is not a good relationship for you. You know that. It is toxic. It is evil communications corrupting good manners. It is polluting. And somehow you think you can manage pollution. And maybe God is saying to you, there's a necessary ending that needs to take place for the new to start. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Isn't that, isn't that profound? And when you read Ecclesiastes verse 7, it is full of sayings that, that just jolt your mind with how deeply profound and unusual they are. The end of a thing should be a time of celebration because the end of the thing means the start of another thing, another season, another phase. 
Number seven characteristic as we come to an end. There will be resistance on this journey. Of course, there will be spiritual resistance. Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul makes us understand that we've got this hierarchy of organized evil that is standing against us. Bodiless persons with an assignment. The assignment is to stop you and I, stop the church from entering God's plans. God's plans, as he has spoken to us, is I'm doing a new thing in your life. And there's this whole organized hierarchy of wickedness. And, and, and Paul calls them powers, which tells us that they do have some power. It's just that the one to whom all power belongs is our father. Otherwise, we're finished. But they are there. They have tricks. They, are sort, they have subtle ways of tripping us up. They have an army that is masked against us, an agenda. They, they want to make us make mistakes, make the wrong choices, wrong decisions. They are there. And they are there to resist us, to imagine that they are not there and to, to, to think that we can just go on and just embrace the new and start to celebrate the new, whatever that is for our lives, is foolishness. Because the Bible makes clear that they are there, these bodiless persons, they are real persons. They just, the only difference between the, you, them, and you, them and us is that they don't have bodies and of course their hearts are desperately wicked, evil people. But they're there. Organized hierarchy. And they're going to resist us. Of course they will resist us. They will use their stock in trade, lies. They will turn people against us. They will tell lies to people. They will, they will, they will try and trip you up because of course they understand that, that sin is the one thing that causes God to step back in, 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 his, in his plan for us. So they'll try and introduce sin. Try and, try and make us do things that will grieve the Holy Spirit. They are working hard day and night. And there might be some resistance naturally where people might not understand, where people might question your motives, where people might mock you or ridicule you, where people might gang up against you, where people might let you down, where people might betray you. The list goes on and on. If Jesus could encounter this, please don't think that we can opt out of it. It's, it's a cause in life. And lastly, the last characteristic, time. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. As I was driving in, I thought about time. Can you believe it? Does it make any sense? This is the 6th of February. Where did January go? I'm still trying to sort out plans and resolutions and direction. January is gone. Time, it would seem, is on a fast track. We tend to recognize time is going in others. We see people and they think, wow, they've, they've kind of aged a bit. You have aged too. And you know, when you're younger, you just feel that 
Time is for others, not for you. As our youngest son, Sochi, um, I think, Oti, was it when you guys were there? Yeah, Oti and the BNA were around at us. So our youngest son, Sochi, he said, we said something about 29 years old or something. He said, that's old. I'm saying, what do you mean that's old, 29? How can that be old? I said, so what, what about your parents? What would you call them? I think he said prehistoric or something. What? Dinosaurs. I said, what about your grandfather? He said, fossils. And at his age, that's, Mark, that's what they think about us. But I looked at him and I thought, don't worry. It goes round. You're soon going to be in my state. And may God give you grace to be like your grandfather, almost 90. And then your grandson will be telling you like a fossil. But what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm saying time doesn't wait for anyone. That's why Psalms 90 verse 12. We number our days. We count it. That we may apply ourselves to wisdom. Believe me. We are soon going to be planning for crossover into 2023. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in terms of time, we also understand that there is always a season for everything with God. And may God help us so that we are not out of season. If you saw someone in January, three degrees, and the person is out on the streets, wearing a vest, one of those net-like vests, with sunglasses and shorts, how many know you're going to look at the person and shake your head and say there's something wrong? That's what it's like when you're out of season. When someone shows up at the beach and everyone is in shorts and t-shirts and the person is wearing a winter coat, and one of those hearts, and is wrapping himself warm. How many know that you don't need a psychiatrist to tell you there's something wrong with this person? When we are out of season, we look ridiculous. And so the season is, this, this is the season. God is saying, I'm doing a new thing. It's a now word. God is saying, launch out to the deep. It's a now word. And the thing with seasons is that God has put in place everything to make it happen. Because it's his word. And he watches over his word. He's, 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 he hastens to watch over his word to see it come to pass. That's what he says. He wants it to happen. And within that season, as that scripture says, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, there's a time for every purpose. Timing is key. Oh, may you not miss the timing. May you not miss the timing. That's why 
that wise king looked at life and he said, I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift. What was he saying? I saw people who were swift but they did not hear the starter's gun. So they were still on your marks. And we're waiting for get set and go. And the starter had already, his gun had already gone. And those who were not so swift, as swift as they were, had already run 50 meters. They were still waiting. That's what Paul was, that's what Solomon was saying. That the race is not to the swift in this life. He says, I, I saw under the sun that the battle is not to the strong. What was he saying? I saw strong people in battle and they lost. They lost because wrong decisions, wrong timing, wrong alliances, and many other reasons. So they had the strength, but they didn't win in the battle. He says, no bread to the wise. What is he saying? I saw wise people who were starving. You would assume that their wisdom would lead them to wealth and riches. But to my amazement, they were wise, but they were starving. Because they didn't see opportunity when opportunity came. They didn't take advantage of the things that were so clearly there for them. They missed the timing. Now, riches to men of understanding, you would assume that because the person has understanding, that the person would know what to do to bring riches. But he says, I saw men of understanding who were dead poor. And he says, I saw men of skill, but they had no favor. Because no matter how skillful, somebody needs to open a door for you. Someone needs to make an introduction for you. Someone needs to speak on your behalf. So I saw the men, skillful men, but nobody spoke for them. No one opened the door for them. And so they had skill, but there was no progress. And then he said, I understood that time and chance happened to them all. What was he saying? That there is, above all these things, the strength, the skill, the favor, the understanding, the swiftness. There's a God who sits in heaven and keeps orchestrating time and chance. He prompts you, this is your time, this is your season, go for it. You obey and it happens for you. He creates chances, opportunities come your way. He opens your eye. Is that not why he asks us, can you not see it? We can't see it ourselves, but he can make us see that this is an opportunity. Because opportunities, as we have heard, don't come, always come dressed in work clothes. So it's the only one who can make you see that it looks like you're going backwards, but really you're going forwards. Just stay with me. Stay with the program. So he says to Joseph, just hang in there. We're going somewhere. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Father, challenge us on this journey. Help us. You've spoken a now word to us. You do a new thing, a new day of destiny. Launch out into the deep. Help us, Lord. Bring application of this word to our lives, Heavenly Father. 
And if there's anybody who hasn't started this journey, it starts by entering the door, giving your life to Christ, starting a relationship with Him. I'd be privileged to lead you as He's knocking on the door of your heart and you open the door of your heart. If you would just say this prayer with me, in, in this prayer you give your life to Jesus. You start the journey. Heavenly Father, today I give my life to your son Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I start the journey into what you have planned and purposed for me. Thank you for receiving me into your family. I ask for grace as I commit myself to turning away from anything that is displeasing to you and living a life of obedience to you, Heavenly Father. Father, I thank you. I declare today that I am now born again today into your family, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, church, why don't you celebrate the new members of our family?